The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascists. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Uh, 7 o'clock is, uh, is 8 o'clock uh, Eastern Time, and uh, that's when the NCAA made their announcements as to the uh, start times and the starting days of the 2019 NCAA Super Regionals. They, uh, you know, there's, there's really, I guess you could say there's a little bit of, uh, of mystique, not mystique, it's not the, not the right word, or just uh, anticipation uh, when, you're, when you're figuring out what the start times are for the biggest series of the year for all of these teams uh, because any after these Super Regionals, the next time any of these teams play a series against one team, they'll be playing for the national championship in the College World Series in Omaha. I mean, you, just, you don't call the regionals a series. That's a, that's a pod or a bracket or a tournament uh, format of some sort that's different from what you get this next weekend at Baumwalker Stadium when Arkansas and Ole Miss square up in a best two out of three. I've always thought two out of three or a series format, whether it's three out of five, or four out of seven is the best way to determine uh, the best team in baseball. And uh, that's why they've been doing it in the majors for years and years. Um, I don't even understand the way that the old College World Series and the old regionals were constructed when you had basically 18 round robins and uh, and 18 regionals. Uh, we, we've got it pretty good in college baseball now that you have a, a real series to get a uh, – to get it to, to determine one of the you know the top eight teams at the end of the season, uh, so I mean there's a little, there is anticipation as to the start time and the day that the series begin, uh, maybe not quite as much of anticipation or uh, wonder as to what the field is going to look like like we had last week when Arkansas was one of the secure teams with the knowledge that they were going to be a top eight seed for the second year in a row. Uh, they were not on any sort of bubble, whether you're looking at a, a bubble for a national seed or a bubble for the top 16, which get a chance to host, or whether you're on the bubble for uh, the field of 64. Uh, the bubble isn't a, isn't a thing now. Now it's just about what day do you play, what time do you play, and let everybody make their plans accordingly. Now, I found it so interesting that the tickets for the Super Regional in Fayetteville sell out, what, in about nine or ten hours after the announcement was Less made? Less than ten hours, Phil. And Less than no, 10 hours. And nobody even knew what the game times were or what the days were, you know, what day is going to start. I mean, that's the sort of anticipation that you're dealing with and the sort of excitement that you're dealing with. Uh, with, uh, I think two things. One, a super regional and a chance to make it to the College World Series two in a row. And that, uh, there's, uh, the feeling, I think, amongst Arkansas players and the team overall and the fan base that, uh, there's a little, uh, unfinished business with this old Miss club that has won uh, four consecutive series from Arkansas and beat them three out of five this year. So when, you know, I, I woke up a little bit earlier than, than usual. Uh, it wasn't quite like, you know, waking up on the first morning of Hanukkah or for you, Ty, the first day, you know, Christmas morning where you're just drooling at the anticipation of opening whatever gifts it is. But I, I, I'm interested in finding out what my life will look like this next weekend. I know you do too. I know the players do. So we woke up this morning and find out that, 
Uh, a little bit surprised we're going to be the Saturday, Sunday, Monday series, but that does make it two years in a row. Uh, and that also means that if Arkansas does get to Omaha, then they'll open up on Father's Day for the second year in a row, like they did last year with that thrilling win over the University of Texas. Uh, and then, yeah, there's a little disappointment when you see that you're the first game on Saturday, which makes it an 11 o'clock morning game. And just think how disappointed you feel when during the football season, a couple weeks ahead of a game, you, you, you see the press release from the Razorback Twitter account or wherever, wherever it is that you find out uh, when, when the game is going to be played. Or maybe if you open up your TV guide uh, a week before the game opens. Ty, you ever open TV Guide before? You ever, you know what that's like? You know what, man? I actually used to do that when okay. when I was living at home with my parents. They would get the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and I would actually do that. And I know that you think of the TV Guide now; it's just getting on your TV and clicking through that. But back in the day, I would actually, I actually, I don't have to push the generational gap because I actually did that back in the day, Phil. It it was, and I know we're talking super regional baseball, but the, the day the TV Guide arrived in my parents' mailbox was like my favorite day of the week. Talk about planning out your week. Like I'm talking about planning out this weekend. Yeah. That pretty much told me everything I would be doing for the next seven days once I open up that TV guide and get through the first couple of pages of, a, of, of ads. Anyway, um, 11, think about disappointing you feel, Ty, when you, when, when you were told that it is yet another 11 o'clock morning kickoff for Arkansas football. Can I, yeah. uh, can I tell you from a selfish standpoint, I was happy because that means instead of having to work the post game and be up here till 10 or 11 uh, Friday night, I'll get to go down to Dallas early for the Jimmy Buffett concert and come back. So selfishly. No, no, hold on know. a second. I'm talking about the disappointment of football. I'm asking you how disappointed oh. you feel when, it, when, you, when you see it's another, it's another 11 o'clock morning kickoff in a season full of nothing but 11 o'clock morning kickoffs in conference games. Sorry, What's your disappointment you, like? I thought you were referring to the, the first game on oh, we'll Saturday. We'll get into the baseball schedule okay. in just a moment. Um, you know what? I mean, it, John started that petition, and I'll, and me and him jokingly believe that he was the, the biggest reason that Arkansas had that night oh, no game doubt. against, yeah, as, as you reiterated as well, the night game against LSU. I just think regardless of the age you are as an Arkansas Razorback football fan, you don't want 11 o'clock games. And some will say, well, then it opens up the rest of your day. But if you're planning on going in the game, if you're planning on attending, tailgating, doing whatever whereabouts you're doing that day, I would think that you want at least a 2.30 game. My favorite was the 2.30 CBS game. Now, you haven't had one of those in quite some time because the Arkansas Razorbacks haven't been good enough on the football field to establish them in that position. That being said, I think the 2.30 was probably my favorite. When you just kept getting these 11 o'clocks last year, you just you kept sulking, you kept getting bummed out, and I, I, I get it. I don't know many college, even just college football fans in general, Phil, who are fond of the 11 a.m. game. That's why I'm curious to see how Fox does putting their primetime game in that slot and seeing how fans react to it. Well, and you never play 11 o'clock in the morning for baseball. I mean, you'll play 12 o'clock in the afternoon on a getaway day Sunday, crazy SEC rubber match Sunday. Uh, but the only time you ever schedule an 11 o'clock morning game is if you're worried about weather. If you're trying to get yourself an extra hour or there's a you know uh, a window to play in the morning that you know about. Uh, so, yeah, nobody likes 11 o'clock morning football kickoffs. And... I'm getting a little bit of a sense that people are are disappointed about an 11 o'clock first pitch on Saturday, which I can understand why. Uh, on the other hand, while you do not have a single night game scheduled for 
the Super Regional at Baumwalker Stadium because uh, the powers that be have it 11 in the morning on Saturday, 2 in the afternoon on Sunday, and then if you feel, if, the, if one of the team's forces a third game on Monday, it's 3 o'clock, this actually works out at least in the Super Regional's favor because the most th- the thing you got to make sure you do is get the games in, and, and, and we got a we got a problem with weather this weekend uh, across Arkansas because there are chances of spotty storms all throughout Saturday and Sunday uh, and potentially Monday if I look at my weather report correctly. So um, you you can't I don't believe you can start a Super Regional game early because these games are slotted specifically for television. Correct. And it would seem to me that if you if you have a if you have a start time at eleven o'clock in the morning, that gives you the rest of the day if you have to use it. As I, as I look at my as I look at my weather app here, eighty percent chance rain on Saturday, uh, mostly in the in the early afternoon. So I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But I know that you know there was that that's one of the reasons Dave said he liked to push that first pitch to the first game of the regional early. Although I think honestly he's it's more about cutting the tension of the day, and so that does the same thing. It should cut the tension of the day a little bit because how many of you are going to get up at five in the morning and tailgate for a good long time? And I I would expect we can talk about atmosphere at a night game at Palm Stadium and it's it's don't get me wrong there's a difference between night game and day game during the regular season. Or I I really can't imagine that the atmosphere will, will really be any quieter for a super regional against Ole Miss at eleven in the morning as maybe it would be at eight o'clock at night. You just have to. As you pointed out on Twitter, you just kind of have to change up your your drinking options a little bit, and that's and like cards on the table. The reasoning behind the games supposedly being louder at night is because you have more time in the day to drink. That's just being honest. That's what most people would lead you to believe. That's why night games are louder. That's why Death Valley is just a horrendous place to play as an opponent at night because those Cajuns have that much more time to drink during the day. That being said, Phil, I'm completely with you, man. Maybe the eleven o'clock. Saturday game, there's people still getting in. It, it might not be, but though, like the Saturday, or excuse me, the Sunday game at two, that is going to be a raucous atmosphere. And I still anticipate the Saturday game, even though it's early, even though it's 11, even though everyone might not be up bed. It's the Super Regionals, man. It's Ole Miss. It's a team that you hadn't beaten in the series in the last few years. They're going to be, the fans are going to be riled up, and you know this team's going to be ready to play this upcoming weekend. I do think it is the premier Super Regional amongst the eight that are being played this weekend. Only SEC one. You got the only SEC matchup, the best conference in the country against, and you're going to have to remind me what Ella, or excuse me, what I know they were a national seed, Arkansas being the fifth. Where was Ole Miss slotted again? Ole Miss was 12. Okay, so I mean, it's a 5 12 match. I mean, that's a, that's two top 16s. And you think about some of the upsets that you've had across the board in the regionals. You got like Florida State advancing, and there's a couple other schools that aren't coming to the top of my. I know Auburn advanced in the Atlanta Regional. There's some schools that advanced that weren't national seeds onto the Super Regional. So you, from probably just a a percentages and ranking standpoint alone, yeah, this has to be the premier Super Regional matchup that they're getting. That I know the timing fans aren't a huge fan of the time wise, but it's on ESPN, y'all. They're they're not right. putting on ESPN two. They're not putting on the SC network. This sucker is on the worldwide wide leader. It's on ESPN. You're going to get a lot of attention regardless of the time this weekend. Well, I mean, all right. So first, we're going to have to get past the start time thing. We we can we can talk about it a little bit throughout the day. But when, once you get past that, then you worry about the matchup. And I think that this is the premier matchup 
of all of the super regionals uh, that that are on the docket. I mean, so eight super regionals are being played. Half of them feature top seeds from the regionals they're coming out of. And one of them is an all-Big 12 matchup of Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. Uh, the other, of course, Arkansas Ole Miss. Uh, you've got Mississippi State and Stanford in Starkville and East Carolina and Louisville. Those are your one-versus-ones. Now, I, I think Oklahoma State-Texas Tech is really good. Those are two brand-name Big 12 programs, and Texas Tech would be the favorite, and they've been to Omaha what is it? I think it's like three of the last four years. I mean, they've got something really special going there. Hogs beat them last year, yeah. And they do have a couple of former Razorbacks from last year's team that are that are pretty instrumental for them this year. Bryce Bonin, uh, right-hand pitcher, and Easton, uh, Easton Morrell, uh, infielder, who uh, really didn't see the field very much for Arkansas yesterday, uh, last year. Bonin pitched uh, against Texas in the College World Series, um, but obviously didn't work out for either. So the other one versus one, East Carolina-Louisville, uh, I know it's a good matchup, but it's not necessarily the sort of thing that's going to draw a ton of eyes. Mississippi State-Stanford, I think, measures up uh, when you're looking at the quality of the programs, uh, when you're looking at the the fact. Stanford and Mississippi State are interesting because they both have, have two first-year head coaches, uh, you've got Stanford coming all the way from California to play at the new dude. Duty Noble Field has been the, the stadium that it seems that ESPN is most interested in getting uh, in getting some publicity, uh, or, or, you know, this year. And it's not that they ignore Baumwalker Stadium, but uh, they they really seem to like that uh, apartment building out there in left field at Duty Noble Field. But then, you know, I, I think Arkansas Ole Miss. When you look at the players on the field, the coaches. The uh, the quality of the programs, um, the fact that these teams have played five times already this season, this is the best super regional out there. I do find it interesting that ESPN doesn't choose that for a later slot. Uh, on Saturday, you get Arkansas Ole Miss at 11 o'clock. Uh, the second game is, let's see here, it looks like it's LSU Florida State. And uh, and then well the, the the people I'm looking at here lined them up incorrectly. All right, so you get on Saturday you get Arkansas and Ole Miss at noon, Auburn and North Carolina also at noon. Uh, well, that's Eastern times. Florida State LSU at two o'clock Central, Stanford and Mississippi State uh, at two o'clock Central. Um, anyway, I mean I would have thought that they would have expected to move that a little bit further back. It's not going to make any difference as far as how many people in Arkansas are watching it. Maybe maybe in some of the other spots. I see we got a call. Grant has dialed us up. He's in Fort Smith. Wants to talk the Super Regional. Grant, good morning. How are you? Or good afternoon first. Good morning. Yeah, good, good, good afternoon, guys. Uh, just just want to let you know, love the show. Um, I grew up listening to Chuck doing the voice of the racebacks and baseball, but i got to tell you, Phil, you're doing a great job, man. I love, love to listen to your play-by-play. Um, I think that I don't know that you're underrated, but I just want to tell you, man, you, you really, really do a good job. I never thought... When Chuck, you know, kind of stepped down from that, that you know, it was like, oh, it's going to be a big drop off. But man, it's been a, it's been an awesome deal. You and Bubba do a great job. And and I've got two questions. Um, and Ty, also, man, I know, I know that you know, maybe you haven't come from all the baseball background, but man, you've been doing some homework, man. I, I appreciate the work you're putting in. Um, it, your show is really, really good, guys. And and I'm I'm a I'm a baseball homer, so that's probably why I love it so much. But um, a couple questions when you're doing the play by play. Sometimes when I'm jumping from watching it, jump into the car, I'll go right to the radio, and I think it's standard practice to kind of give a score update at the end of the inning. And, and like as a as a as a listener, 
if I don't know where the game is, my anxiety level is so high. So I'm trying to always hear what the score is, you know, more updated, if you know what I mean. Like we might be in the you know, second batter in the inning, and, and then I'm waiting till the inning's over before we get that score update, kind of figure out where we're at. Um, and just telling you from a, from a listener standpoint, it's always that way with every game that I'm listening to. I can't imagine how hard the job is, especially when Bubba's not there. Um, it just seems like you're just having to cover so much um, of the game. You just do such a good job. But um, is it just it's kind of a normal practice, I guess, is question one, for, for just to give kind of a score update at the, at the end of the inning. Um, and I just probably just have anxiety problems. That's probably why I'm on the medication I am. But um, the other question is, is do you have any insight to what our team is doing to prepare for the Super Regional, specifically left-handed pitchers? I mean, are we bringing every left-hander that's not going to pitch this weekend that we have to throw live to our guys? And, and, and obviously, we probably don't have the left-handers that we're going we're gonna to face. But what, what do we do other than just we're a great team and we're going there and deal with it? What inside is happening in practices? Are we getting some live on from some lefties with our starting lineup? Do you guys have any insight to that? Imagine we have you know several guys on the roster that are left-handers that aren't going to throw um, you know through the weekend and can get some live arms and, and just get used to to that you know that the hard slider and um, just want to kind of get your thoughts on that if you if you know what Dave and Horner if you get a chance to ask him how he prepares specifically for the pitching we're going to see. Well, I mean, that's a really good question, and part of it is that you don't need too much of a scouting report on on Ole Miss by now. That that's different in a lot of these other. Uh, super regional matchups. I mean, North Carolina and Auburn really don't know much about each other, so they've got to study what they can see on television and and pretty much go by that or make a couple of phone calls to other coaches that have played against those teams. You know, it's the same with Mississippi State and Stanford. LSU and Florida State did not play each other this year. I think the only other matchup that features teams that played each other are Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, Arkansas, and Ole Miss. So there's there's a lot of familiarity there, and there really aren't any surprises. And Ole Miss does have a lot of left-handed pitchers, and, and, and they're definitely going to line them up uh, in a way that will try to make it difficult for Arkansas. But every other team has done the same thing. So at this point, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a matter that this team needs any extra practice against left-handed pitching because they've seen a ton of it. I mean, even in the Super Regional against, uh, against uh, TCU, uh, they saved pretty much all their left-handers uh, to pitch against Arkansas. So it's, they, they know what they're going to see. Um, and the preparation started... You know when they first scouted Ole Miss in the regular season matchup. Um, so, and, and here's the other thing too: a lot of the players that are on Ole Miss were recruited by Arkansas. Some of the players on Arkansas were recruited by Ole Miss. These guys know each other, and they know, and the coaches know the players. The coaches know each other. That's one of the reasons I think this will be the best super regional matchup. It's because. They're going to have to find a way to outsmart the other one because it's like that extra layer of thought. You know, a pitcher sometimes and a hitter sometimes know each other so well. This happens in the major leagues. They know each other so well because they faced each other 50 or 60 times over an eight- or nine-year stretch that they've got eight or nine different ways to approach how they hit or pitch against this guy that they're facing for a 51st time. So it's that chess match that we're going to see here and again i don't really think that there's any extra preparation that you need to do as a left-handed hitting team that knows you're going to face a lot of left-handed pitching especially when it's what you're going to play the 62nd game of the year on saturday um i don't think they need any extra preparation 
they just need to they they need to know which pit, which guys lined up against them what day and and kind of go from there. And Phil, I think it's funny. You and Bubba always talk about, and it's more Bubba than anything. If like someone will have a hit list streak, like Casey Martin for the other day, he always talks about, well, he's due, he's due. That gives Bubba more of an impl- inclination to think that, oh, he's going to get a hit, he's going to turn it around. It's kind of like you can kind of translate that to a series or a game in general. Yes, you've you've struggled against Ole Miss these last few years. You have not had a lot of success against them. Heck, you lost him in bomb this year. That being said, I'm going to kind of tie that into Bubba's philosophy. You haven't played great against them, but does that mean you're due? I mean, it's postseason now. Like, this is where Arkansas shines. This is Ole Miss. Yes, they're a good ball club, and Bianco's done a tremendous job there, but when you think postseason baseball at Bob Walker Stadium, typically the Razorbacks prevail, and that has to, even though you haven't had a lot of success against Ole Miss, you gotta got to believe in that a little bit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean with Bubba on this one. You know, part, part of this also, too, is when, when you're struggling as a hitter, Sometimes you can work yourself harder into a deeper slump. You know, just kind of it can corkscrew into the ground a little bit more, spiral out of your control. And, and it might be different for every hitter. But for a team that, so to speak, everybody seems to think they just struggle against left-handed pitching, they don't, I don't really think they need to do anything extra. Because here's, here's part of it. They actually aren't terrible against left-handed pitching. They, they're just not as good as they are against righties. And yeah, it's it's kind of you you had to stress this to me because I was kind of in the whole mob mindset. Well, these these guys hadn't done anything against lefties. That's not true. It's been they, they've been so strong, so just absolutely crushing righties that it looks like from that standpoint that they're not hitting lefties. But in reality, they're just not hitting them as well as they are righties. And that's sometimes it's hard to grasp as a fan when you see what they do against righties. But it just in when it when it comes full circle, they're just not as good against lefties as they are righties, Phil, as you pointed out to me several times. Jeff Taylor and his staff over at Jeff's Clubhouse has a fantastic catering service, and they can almost cater up to any size. Give them a call today at 479-308-9123 or check them out on Facebook or visit online at theclubhousefs.com. Now back to the Halftime Pod. Let's go. Carson, thanks for making time today. I know you're a busy guy these days. How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, there's uh, always time for Phil Elton. Oh, that's very sweet of you. So what was it like yeah. the week the week um, leading up to South Carolina? Because, you know, you, you guys are already prepped for South Carolina during the regular season and, and in Hoover. You know, Arkansas, I think you played them four times in the regular season. This year's Hogs, no Ole Miss, maybe a little better. They played them five times. Is there any extra prep you had to do? Is there any less prep you had to do? What was that like preparing for a team you'd already played? Yeah, I mean, I think last year we just, um, you know, we watched a lot of film. Uh, you know, as you guys know, players can change throughout the season. So you're going to watch their last three or, or two or three outings that, that uh, you can see what, they're, what they've been doing lately to have success or to not have success. So, um, well, I mean, it, we studied a lot of game film throughout the whole week. Um, you know, just kind of got our minds right, uh, got locked in and ready to go. I'm always interested when baseball uh, comes down to players, teams, managers, coaches, programs that know each other very well. That's, you know, you get a chess match even when teams don't face each other at all during the regular season and they play in the Supers. When you're talking about, you know, Mike Bianco, Dave Van Horn, everything that these programs already know about each other, to me, it makes baseball even more fun to watch. What's it like to play in a game like that? It's really fun. Um, You know, 
I mean, it's winner take all. We know that. And, um, you know, when you get to play a team that you've already played, um, I think it, it adds more drama to it. Um, there's, it's, it's just kind of a different feel. Um, and I mean, I, I, I mean, I've only been a part of two super regionals. So, um, yeah, that was, that was definitely, uh, very very cool feeling to, to have all that drama built up you know it, it they're another SEC team and as South Carolina was too they were another SEC team so you know how good they are and um, so we know how good Ole Miss is coming in and I'm sure they're going to prepare accordingly talking with Carson Shaddy former Omaha here on halftime Carson we were talking a little bit earlier Isaiah Campbell was drafted 76th overall which we both thought was a little late did you as well yeah I mean I think I think it was a little late um I mean, but overall, you got to look at what he did from this year and last year. I mean, he got drafted, I think, in the twenty-something round. Um, so it's it's a it's a great day for Isaiah Campbell, regardless if he thinks it's late or not. Um, you know, I think that he he got a, a the amount right the the uh, amount of money that he probably was wanting, and and um, you know he's going to look back on this and be really thankful for it. Um, he's uh, he is one heck of a pitcher, one heck of a friend. Um, you know, he deserves all of it. So his teammate and your former teammate, Dominique Fletcher, after actually drafted one spot before him to the Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. What are the Diamondbacks getting in Dominique Fletcher? Man, I think they're just getting a gamer. Um, you know, he's a ball player. He's just like his brother. I think his brother has branded himself as being one of the best ball players in, in, in uh, Major League Baseball. And I think that Fletcher's got a lot of that in him, too. Um, you know, Fletcher might... He might have that that tag his whole career of being a little too small, um, but it, it doesn't matter with him. You know, his arm plays, his bat plays, his legs play. Um, he's going to get into a program, um, and he's going to be there. There's going to have a they're going to have a nice um, thought process on what his his plan for, to get to the big leagues, and I think he's going to do really well. I I don't remember hearing the he's too small argument with Andrew Benintendi, and That's it didn't true, yeah. it, it didn't hurt him at all either. Yeah. Um, this is such an interesting time of the year, Carson, for, for baseball talent, you know, because of the draft and because, um, the, you, you know, you're in this position where, especially if, you know, if you're, if you're a college player and you're playing this time of the year, you're playing in the games that you feel like your entire life have led towards and, and you really want to focus on just that. But is it, is it difficult to, you know, you got to have in the back of your mind a little bit, you know, they're thinking about, you know, where am I playing in, in, in a month? You know, what's, who am I going to be playing with? Where does the where do I slot in? Are you able to you know compartmentalize these things, or are, are these thoughts always there when it's draft time? Yeah, um, you know I think that it's probably I think that the regional would have been the time that they've been but kind of worried about it. But now that it's over, it's a really it's a it's a relief. You know, it's a weight off your back, and you can just go out and play. Um, and you know it, that it, it gives you confidence. So I think that Isaiah and, and Dom and I think Cronin got picked up today as well. Um, I think they're all going to have added confidence to, to their game this weekend and the, and the following week um, if we uh, get out. So um, I, I, I think it's a great thing that, that it happened, and I think I'm glad that it's over for them. They don't have to worry about it. I feel that there's a brand – name that goes along with Arkansas or just like the way you expect something of how an Arkansas Razorback plays the game once they leave college and head to the professional ranks I feel like you're already you already know what it's like to prepare like a professional player you already know what it's like to handle yourself like a professional player and it's because of the expectations that Dave Van Horn has for the way the game is supposed to be played and I feel that might be a little bit different from some other college teams what do you think? I think that you hit it right on. Um, you know, I think that 
Coach Van Horn runs his program like a professional team, and that's why he has so much success. Uh, and the more recruits know that, the more the better off they'll be. Um, you know, I came into Pro Bowl last year, and I felt like I was kind of ahead of the curve of of kind of knowing my surroundings and and um, and things like that compared to my my teammates that were on my team. So, um, yeah, I think for sure he, he he ready he gets you ready, and that's what's important when um, you think about the the Pro Bowl type uh, process. Is you want to have someone that gets you ready, and Coach Van Horn does that. He, he, you, I spent five years and technically a Pro Bowl team. So, so, and that's one of the things I feel is a difference in this super regional. Now, I mean, I, for me, I, I separate Ole Miss with their talent and that they do play the game in a hard nosed manner, and I can appreciate that and everything they have on the field, but some of the antics that they pull. The home run celebration, some of the routines they pull, some of the actions that they do. Carson, to, Bill hates the preppiness. He just it, it, they ooze preppiness, and he just absolutely hates it. It's not just them; it's other it's other programs too that you don't see any of this stuff from Arkansas. To me, the, there's a culture clash between Arkansas and Ole Miss that I think plays itself out this weekend too. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Um, I think, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come up come on here and bad mouth anybody, but. Um, the, the cultures are different, definitely different, um, and um, it's known. And that's just that's just how the older players before them have treated the uh, treated their their process and their time at their college, and that's that's where the culture comes from. Um, and I think that what you've seen is from from us um, specifically is this, you know we we wanted to leave the place better than we had found it, and um, I think that that whole concept is carried on to this team. Um, I think they want to leave it better than they found it as well. Um, and you know the culture is just, is 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 uh, blue collars you could possibly have. So, um, I mean, I love I love what we have going on in Arkansas right now. And um, you know, as, as far as from my concern, from a player standpoint, they can do whatever they want. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's all about who puts up more runs and who scores more runs. So, um, hopefully, that's the the good guys um, at the end of the day. Speaking with Carson Shaddy here on halftime, Carson, it's weird to think that like the LSU was the Phil called it a gorilla on Arkansas baseball's back for quite some time. You guys were able to get the win this year, but for some reason, the Arkansas baseball program hasn't had a lot of success since Ole Miss in the past few seasons. I know they've had some talented baseball teams and talented players, but why do you think that you guys have kind of struggled against particularly Ole Miss these last few years? Man, I don't have an answer for you. I would just say that they're just another SEC team. Um, you know, maybe you caught them at the wrong weekend. Um, you know, maybe we they, they're hot and uh, we had a, a we came off a, a really bad weekend before or something. I don't know. I don't really remember um, the the weekends before and whatnot. But um, I, I don't think it's anything like we're afraid of them or anything. I think that um, as far as talent and um, culture and uh, history, we, we're very level-headed with with each other, and um, you know it's a great even matchup. You know, at the end of the day, Ole Miss is a great school, a great baseball school, um, but so is Arkansas, and they, and the guys need to know that, and um, and just uh, try to let the culture that we've built uh, play on through this super region, and I think they'll be okay. So, with the games this weekend, Ole Miss coming back in town, they've already been to bomb once this season. What are you looking for specifically for some of the older guys to do in order to get this team onto Omaha? Man, I think that um, you know a lot of passion has to be showed. You know that last year the Super Regional was the most passionate series that we had, and it was from um, top to bottom. The people in the dugout that weren't playing, um, people that were playing, 
Um, you know, emotion goes a long way, and especially if it's a, if we have a, a, a good inning, um, you know, if you can build on that, um, it, it it goes a long way. Um, you know, I, I think about the first inning of uh, Game Three in the Super Regional last year when we had put up five, and you know, the whole place was going crazy. I mean, it was just bonkers, and um, you know, I think that that's, that that helped a lot, kind of solidify the um, the rest of the game. So I think that you know. One for sure. If you get ahead, you better step on their neck and and uh, and put an end to it. Um, and I think that's really important. And then just the the leadership qualities. You know, you look at Isaiah, you look at Trevor, you look at Dom, all the older guys that are that are uh, going to probably leave after this year. Um, you know, I think they just need to realize that this is their last time at Bomb Stadium, and they better make the most of it. You know, Carson, it, uh, I think the main thing Arkansas has got going for them right now, and I, I still think the lineup takes care of itself, but this pitching staff, the way they stepped up uh, in in the regional, and it, I think we even saw it over the, the course of that the, the last seven games of the regular season where they still lost five of them. Arkansas pitching has been pretty steady right now, starters all the way through the bullpen, and I think that's the thing more than anything that can get them back to Omaha. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think that, at the beginning of the year, we weren't uh, thought of as an offensive team and uh, maybe more of on the pitching side. Um, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of moxie from the uh, older guys and um, you're seeing a lot of confidence and, you know, they're getting in their groove early and they know what they need to do to have success and that's really happening. So um, I think that you're exactly right. We're starting to mesh on the mound. They're, everybody's doing their job. It's, it's just been a good thing so far. So, so I mean – where are you going to be watching these games? This is going to, I mean, it's different for me, for you than I think than almost anybody that would be listening here, unless they were on last year's team, because yeah. you know you, it, you, it's you still not fully separated out probably emotionally from from being on that field in a game like that, and we're all going to be nervous and 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 and, and you know biting our fingernails. I can only imagine mm-hmm. what it'll be like for you. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, it's going to be a different different type feel. I mean, I got a little bit of it last week with the week. Um, I think I was about as, as nervous as I possibly could be. And, you know, these are all my teammates and considered uh, as my best friends. And, uh, you know, you worry for them and you, you hope that they have the best um, outing that they could possibly have. And, um, as far as just watching the game, I'll be about uh, probably 100 feet to the left of you. Uh, uh, we have a, a box up at the – we've had a box, a family box for the past 15 years. So um, maybe you can lean out the window and say hi to me. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. And my, my last thing, we'll leave with this. Does it matter? 11 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock at night, does it matter at all to the players? Man, that's, that's tough. I think he would love to see um, – I think he would love to see uh, the Hogs play at night. And I think that was – you know, I think we had one of those games or maybe two. Um, but you know what? They, they need to realize and not take for granted what they have in front of them. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very – honorable thing that they're getting to do getting to host the super regional at bomb stadium and uh, regardless of the time they needed they needed not take it for granted and um, get after it all right carson rather than stick my head out of the booth and say hi i might just come find you if you're going to be that close so i'll see you this weekend that works too <laughs> you, you got it all right thanks so much for your time carson have a great day you too see ya Jeff's Clubhouse has the best brunch in town every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., bottomless mimosas, an endless buffet, and so much more. 2801 Old Greenwood Road in Fort Smith. More Halftime Pod coming at you. All right, so on this Tuesday, we've got a few things. We're going to kick off our grass. If the bun bar would stop freezing up, it's fine. 
It, that's okay. We can start with that. We can start with technology that doesn't work. Old man, my ass. Perhaps I could be of some assistance. You're on Facebook, huh? Well, I've been trying to figure it out. I joined about 10 minutes ago. Well, better late than never. Get off my lawn. Phil, real quick, I, I just felt like I was Randy Rainwater there for a second. Have you ever, like, whenever he's trying to click something, sometimes <laughs> his favorite phrase, if something doesn't go right, technology-wise, is dang flabbit. And this comes from the most loved because I listen to Randy when I have since I was like young I'm growing up and stuff and that's just that what I just did there is the most Randy Rainwater impression except I didn't have the dang flabbit he says dang flabbit that's like Yosemite Sam doing a talk show he loves that's his favorite phrase when some tech stuff messes up so it's so I just felt like Randy there obviously not to his his degree of celebrity and uh, stardom, but and you're also not in your own house right now doing your show, a la you know maybe maybe one other person you're aware of. Have you seen his man cave, by the way? I've seen pictures of that thing. Oh his man, the man cave is a studio at the same time. You know, if you're gonna be if you're gonna be a real sports radio guy and you have a man cave, it's got to double as a studio. You know this? Yeah. Then that's what you're shooting for at some point, right? Hopefully, I mean that's the that's the goal. I know not only him. There's a couple. There's a Mississippi guy that does it from his house. Uh, occasionally, like Tommy will do it at his lake house, stuff like that. Just like down the road, like once I get get a little more under me and stuff, uh, get a little more uh, fame and God. fortune. And- Gosh, I would just, I would just love to do a sports radio show from my own place of living. I think that would be so cool. I wish I would, our I, I, listeners could see what finger I'm holding up towards you right now, but <laughs> unfortunately, it's uh, we don't we don't do the live video. That's probably a good thing sometimes. No, with why us. did you know? I didn't realize that finger was so much longer than the other one. <laughs> All right, I think he's telling me to get off his lawn, to be quite honest with you here. But here's some guy that needs to get off the lawn right now. The 2-2 pitch. No! Oh, the crowd can't believe it. Oh, and now we get... He just threw his pitcher out of the game. We just got the home plate umpire. Ken Lankford has thrown McAveen out of the game. Is that right? Oh, my. Dan McDonald can't believe it. How could anybody believe it when the Louisville closer, uh, whose name is Michael McAveen, is ejected uh, by home plate umpire Ken Langford while the game is on the line? It's while Louisville is leading Indiana 9-7 to on the top of the ninth inning in Saturday morning's elimination game. And, uh, and Louisville... Uh, and they did. They did end up winning that ball game. Uh, McAveen was ejected with one strike left in the ball game. All he did. Now look, all there. There's certain things you can say to an umpire that are going to get you ejected. I mean, we know if all you've got to do is watch Bull Durham, and you know one of the phrases right there. And there are certain words you can say that have the hard CK sound in them that can also do the trick. But I'll also say that the words. That's horrible. Are not the words that are going to get you ejected out of the game. Maybe the term "you're horrible" will do that. But one umpire is looking for those words from a pitcher with one strike left in the ball game. This is, you know, what this is called, Ty, and it's the same for any sport. And you see it more in basketball, and you see it more in baseball than you do in football. Rabbit ears. That's the terminology that we're getting at here. You've heard the term rabbit ears before, right? This is not just a generational thing. Generational gap. Oh, my goodness. You've not heard rabbit ears. So rabbit ears 
also can be like rabbit eyes because rat bunnies do have very good eyesight too. Did you know that? Because they eat carrots and carrots are good for your eyes. I'm assuming this is just a med- metaphor for you have such good, you're looking for something to either throw someone out or looking for something to call. You them. hear everything because yeah. the ears are so big or you see everything in this case, like an umpire, Ken Langford, uh, seeing uh, the words from a pitcher's mouth, that at that point he wants to hear those words. Because if it's the last pitch of a baseball game, you have been getting it, and your your strike zone is that bad. It really is. I mean, I've seen I've seen. I mean, the, the example would be that the so this pitch that he got thrown out on was a two two pitch. The two one pitch was was a breaking pitch that was pretty much right the same spot that the 2-2 pitch was located. He called the 2-1 pitch a strike. He called the 2-2 pitch a ball. They were basically in the same spot. Different pitches, breaking ball or a fastball, but they were on the same spot. He called them differently. So if that's the sort of strike zone he was working with throughout the game, he was getting it from both dugouts the entire ball game. And he, the rabbit ears were filled. You know, by that point, the rabbit ears had heard everything they could possibly hear. And then the rabbit ears focused his eyes on poor uh, Michael McAveen's lips, and he and and that was it. That was it. He snapped, and he threw a guy out that shouldn't have been thrown out of the game. You know what this does? He is suspended for four games. He will miss the Super Regional. Wow. Beca- because of this rabbit-eared man in black umpire who is overly sensitive. It is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. And so Ken Langford... Don't just get off my lawn. Get out of the NCAA tournament. You don't belong there. There's a, a breaking point for everyone. And I talked to Tommy about this, some of the stuff that's been said to him that he's let go, and then other stuff that you just have to tee someone up for. But that's horrible. Like that, that is nothing. There is not a single umpire, a single ref, a single official in the United States of America that should give someone a technical foul or throw someone out for the words. That's horrible. There's so much more that can be said to that. I remember in the Eastern Conference Finals a few years back when Ray Allen got a technical for trying to get through a screen and then and the foul got called him and he just started walking away and held his hands up and said no. Just the word no. Like, not looking at the ref, just like no, like frustrated. And he got a tech for that. And again, most of the time officials do a really good job. Tommy's kind of made, he's brought me into the light a little bit seeing that. And I think it was funny, Eric Mussman was talking with Chuck Daly, his former, the late Chuck Daly, and Chuck was like, your brain officials the old game. Go back and check to see how many calls they got right. And he was like, yeah, it was 99%. But in this situation, Phil, that ump is just dead wrong. Just dead yeah, wrong. I think, you, I mean, there's so there's also the difference between, you know, having a tough strike zone that isn't really very good, and that's something I'll get into later on in this too. Yeah. Uh, or, or missing call or just being overly sensitive for a moment that needs you to be patient, more patient than you're willing to be, perhaps, and apparently so. You, you have to be bigger than the irritation that you're feeling as an umpire in the ninth <laughs> inning with two outs and two strikes in a regional game. Give me a break. It's not all about him. You've got to be bigger than the moment. And I think one of the other things that we can point to is fans, coaches, players, you know what they want, Phil? They want consistency, and that's what it comes down to. If you're going to call a wide strike zone, then keep it that way the entire game. If you're going to call a small strike zone, Keep it that way the entire day. Don't switch up. Don't contrast. Just do what you've been doing the entirety of the game. And for him to do that, kind of like you're saying, with both teams, not just Louisville, but both teams going back and forth on him, 
It's not a good look. Can I also just take this into the second get off my lip? This is the same thing for me. Roll too. into it. I mean, it's, it's essentially it's essentially, it. essentially the same thing. It's the college umpire strike zone, and I and sometimes you feel the same way about the big leagues. But 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 those are guys that are doing it literally every day. I mean, I think I think major league umpiring and college umpiring are on a whole other level. The college the college strike zone uh, is not very good. And 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 look, I've I've picked up on this over the first year that I did college baseball. Uh, and and these got these these umpires are paid well uh, for one game. They're paid. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know they're paid well for a three game series. They're they're making out fairly well. It's a tough job. It's a really difficult job. But that doesn't excuse bad strike zones. That doesn't excuse floating strike zones. That doesn't excuse strikes that are called on 3-0 pitches that wouldn't be called a strike on 3-2. and two. Uh, The strike zone should never expand on 3-0. and oh. And you see this routinely. We saw this over the weekend in the regional. We, you see it all, all season long. It happens with big league strike zones. It should never expand on 3-0. and oh. And don't tell me it doesn't, because it does. Um Look, you, and you, you can you can review all of the bad calls on the field. Essentially, almost all of them can be reviewed and changed. And yeah, I saw there wasn't there a review yesterday in the Oklahoma City Regional Final that took like 15 minutes. Jeez, like come on now. I mean, we're we're trying to move baseball games along a little bit, but the strike zone can't be reviewed. And I don't ever want. A, a, a robotic strike zone. I don't ever want, and let me put another extra word in there. I don't ever want to want a robotic strike zone. And right now I don't. But if the college umpiring doesn't improve on balls and strikes, I'm going to want a robotic strike zone. And I don't want that desire. I want the human element. Real quick, last year in the, in the Super Regional Game 3, was that last pitch the bond field? Was that a strike or a ball? Because I, I watched that. You highlight. mean in the College World Series? Yeah, in the College World Series. That's that was low. Yeah, that that's, was low. That's what I it was not it. a strike. There's no doubt about it. But, okay. I mean, that didn't make the difference in the win or a loss. And the kid pitched a great game. Abel pitched a great game. But that was low. Yes, I remember feeling the same thing. And every time I see the highlight, I'm thinking, that was not a strike. Come on now. I, that's just, that came, to, that snapped into my mind as soon as you said that. So. Strike zones. Get off my lawn. Phil's angry. Phil, what did you think of the review from Jay Krizzle that I sent you last night concerning the <laughs> hog pin? What did you think of that? Uh, it was... <laughs> hey, I mean, people have opinions on what it's like out there. I don't know. It, it seemed to me being a little bit touchy. Hey, by the way, Matt Cronin was just drafted. Where is he going? He went in the fourth round to the Washington Nationals. Breaking news. Okay, so... He's the 123rd overall pick. And he goes after Glenn Allen Hill Jr., former major leaguer's son. Uh, Cronin going to the... Washington Nationals with the 123rd overall pick. This just happened a couple of minutes ago. Phil, forgive my baseball ignorance. Scherzer's still there, right? Uh, with the Nats? Yes. Yes. Okay, so he could possibly close out one. Maybe maybe Scherzer will be okay with coming out if Cronin gets there eventually because we saw Scherzer the other day refusing to come out because the, the Nationals bullpen is just is garbage apparently, so... Um, but back to the, back to this review, and I'll just do all this will take up both of mine since it's a little long. But this guy Jay Krizzle, uh criticizes Bomb Stadium on on Google reviews, and it's really funny because he's just saying a lot of different things, talking about the fan that was thrown out, the old fan who he said wasn't drunk. Who I, I've had multiple other accounts that said 
that was one of the drunkest guys in the hog pen that day saying that it was just a bunch of college kids teaming up on him and that he's not going to donate to the university and more. And the white male mob in the hog pen is horrific. And just all this, go- <laughs> like, just, I'm reading this. I'm like, I can, dunk, I can debunk that. I can debunk that. I can debunk that. If you want to read the whole thing, it's on my Twitter, at Ty Sports Radio. But for me, he's just like, well, I can't believe they're allowing alcohol. I'm not going to donate anymore. Dude, you realize that there's not only alcohol in Donald W.'s rental Razorback Stadium with the suites. The same applies for Bud Wall Arena in the suites. That's been a hog bin tradition for I don't know how long, along with the suites in Baumwalker Stadium. So I don't know where this guy's information is coming from, but he is thoroughly confused with how college athletics works when it comes to just alcohol and just the games in general. And look, I've been to Baumwalker Stadium in the Hogpen dozens of times, and I've sat there inebriated. I've sat there sober. I've sat there many different places. I would not recommend, if you're really, really trying to, to watch the game, sitting over to where the college students and postgrads did. Because I'm not going to lie, it gets a little rowdy over there. My generation can be stupid at times. There are places in the Hogpen that aren't crazy, that aren't that wild. And yes, there are officers who patrol who make sure kids don't get out of hand. I say kids and adults. It, it really applies to everyone out there. But I was just, I was furious with this guy and everyone that I put this out on social media and everyone's just tearing this guy's to shreds. So Jay, and you think, Phil, you think a guy named Jay Krizzle would be okay with the Hogman atmosphere, but obviously not. That's a good point. Let me so let me. He's he's referring to the uh, to the guy that was complaining about Dave Van Horn bunting Christian Franklin. I think in the I think that was in the Saturday game. And not complaining. I got a buddy that got it on video that it was like just tearing up Dave Van Horn, the five time College World Series appearing Dave Van Horn in Arkansas, the guy that got you to the College World Series final last year, compared to just some some all-knowing guy in the outfield that apparently knows all things baseball and is, I guess, more knowledgeable than the head coach, Phil. But but that was also something I saw on John Neighbors' Twitter. Like he filmed, he he, he videoed it, he he made a thing about, about it, and it didn't look like things were really very friendly out there at that very moment. You know where I would watch Flower in the Hog Pen, and I couldn't be up in one of the Razorback boxes. I would be on the very last bleacher, way up at the top. That's where I would watch the game from if I'm sitting in the hog pen. If I can't be in the you know one of the first people lined up against the railing, then I want to be one of the last people because that's just a, there's too many people to be around to try to stand there and watch a game. By the way, the U of A in no time is going to employ me as an administrator in any way, shape, or form. But my first <laughs> action, if I was ever to get that job, is to put Phil and Bubba on the hog pen for at least one game of broadcasting. You have, I know that's super regional, and you're not going to do that in a game of this importance, but maybe a lackluster game next year, uh, a, a cream puff comes into town, and there's not as many fans out there. I really want you and Bubba to broadcast from one of those. Make What are those things called again? The Phil? Razorback boxes. The box, yeah. Those repurposed shipping containers. Yeah, I really want, I think that atmosphere would just be buck wild if y'all did a, a broadcast from out there. It would be. All right. That's that's a pretty good one. I would agree with you on, on, on Mr. Chris. What do you got next? Uh, so J- I'll do this one quick. Juju Smith-Schuster, Phil, did you see that he went to a prom with the kid? Yeah. So, I mean, what hasn't he done involving social media? I love this guy. And, and this is obviously Phil's favorite hometown team, the Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver out of USC. And to anyone that doesn't like Juju Smith-Schuster, you could just get off my lawn because – this kid got broken up with right before his prom, so he asked Juju, hey man, can you get a prom with me? And you're just like, heck yeah. Imagine being that kid. The kid called it the best night of his life, and it 
one point during the dance, uh, an AB chant broke out that had some explicatives. AB is referring to Antonio Brown. So that was, he didn't, Juju didn't start it, but the, the kids there did because of their love for Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, are you, are you sure how much you love Juju? Because one of the things that he did, and this is also what you have to do when you go to prom in Pittsburgh, because I did the same thing as a kid that went to prom in Pittsburgh. The next day, you go to Kennywood, which is uh, which is like our Six Flags. That's our amusement park. Okay. And there's, there's a... There is a Steeler-themed uh, section there and a Steeler-themed roller coaster, but there's been a big controversy in Pittsburgh this this last few months, Ty, because they replaced Heinz Ketchup with Hunts. <laughs> We've already fought about this a couple yeah. of times on the show because of your of, of your love for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, Juju Smith-Schuster went to Kennywood with a bottle of Heinz and put that Heinz Ketchup on other people's fries. At Kennywood. No, he did this, this raises, he's already a folk hero because he's a Steelers wide receiver that gets out <laughs> of the community. This puts him on a whole other level. On a whole other level. He's going to, man, if he doesn't retire Steeler, then something in the next few years goes wrong. That's awesome. Well, I think Hines will hire him. Yeah, seriously. As I mean, the next spokesperson. Get quite, off my ketchup. Seriously, man. That's, that's, I hadn't heard that. I'm glad you told me that. Uh, all right. So, yeah, and he's, he's awesome. He's, he's a lot of fun. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on him because. I mean, there is no more AB, there is no more LB, and he's the man. He yeah. is the man now in that in that passing game, and and there's going to be a ton of pressure on him. Uh, my last, and yeah, I'm sticking with all baseball for this. I and I've gotten into this a couple of times. There were a few players last night that went in the first or second round of the Major League Baseball draft that were at that very moment either on deck. In a, in a winner-takes-all regional final or were on the field when it actually happened. So it's not like they got a phone call and had that moment uh, that every other player gets uh, when they're coming out of the draft for the NBA or or football. And, and, look, there are only so many teams that this happens to, but I feel like it should never happen. Like, you should be able to plan a day around the draft if you are a player and you know you're going in the draft. You can turn it into something uh, rather than being on the field. I mean, let's look at it this way, and I've seen it, I've, I've seen it explained like this. How do you think Nick Saban would react if the NFL draft was held uh, during the college football playoff, the first game, the semifinal, not the final, and Tua Tagovailoa is drafted in the first round, which I anticipate he will be, by whomever, while he's about to go out to lead a fourth quarter drive. Because that's what happened yesterday for a couple of the players. I don't remember the exact names out of Stanford, but they were kids that were on deck in a winner-takes-all game that found out they were drafted while they're standing there on deck. This is ridiculous. This would never happen in the NFL. And part of this is because the draft is separated from the season. In baseball, the draft is part of the season. It's part of the major league season. It's part of the minor league season. It's part of the college season, unfortunately. Now, Rob Manfred mentioned something about this last night on t- on the major league, uh, on MLB TV, mm-hmm. That that they're interested in 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 coinciding the draft with the College World Series and maybe even moving the first couple of rounds, which are held at Secaucus, New Jersey, in the MLB TV studios. Maybe moving it like they they're playing a major league game the day before the College World Series starts in TD Ameritrade, Tigers Royals. It would make a lot of sense to have part of the draft in Omaha 
at the College World Series where amateur baseball's eyes are focused upon for that week anyway and separated from the games. These kids should be able to play the games that they're there to play and worry about the draft on another day. Not 100% on this, but when I went to the College World Series back in 2015 when Arkansas made it there, I think I remember Kendall Rogers asking one of the Omaha guys, and this wasn't an MLB person or an MLB administrator, but it was someone connected with the NCAA and that just uh, the idea of that. So that would be cool. I mean, there's a lot of logistics that would go into that, but I think that would be cool just looking at it from the outsider perspective for them to do that. All right, but, uh, Phil, real quick before we go, the Bills, Bills Mafia. We had Chris Gragg, who played for the Bills for a little bit on former Razorback a, a couple months back, and he talked about just the rabid fan base, and they felt like a college fan base there. There's potential they could move. Pro Football is tweeting that they really need the city to invest in a new stadium because they've been there, I believe, since the 1960s. Not in that stadium specifically, but in Buffalo, New York. And there's a possibility, and the owner of the Buffalo Bills is wanting at least partially Buffalo, the city of Buffalo, to help him build a new stadium. So it's kind of unclear at this point if they're going to stay there, but I'd be really bummed. And to those who think, <laughs> that fan, they uh, they should move. That franchise should move out of Buffalo. You can get off my lawn. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at hitthatline.com.